Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Shuttlepod at the Disco. Today is Season 2, Episode 6, and we'll be discussing the sixth episode of the second season of Star Trek Discovery, The Sound of Thunder. I'm your host, Kaylee Yacovino, and I am joined by my good friends, Brian Drew. Hey, everybody. Matt Wright. Hey, guys. And Jared Whitley. Hello. So, like I said, today we are talking about The Sound of Thunder, which was written by Boyan Kim and Erica Lippold, and it was directed by Doug... Aronikoski. That's my best pronunciation of his last uh, name. That's a pretty good attempt, I think. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so to give a little bit of recap to, of the episode, get us all on the same page, we remember what happened so we can talk about it. Uh, Brian, why don't you hit us with the synopsis? Why, certainly. This synopsis is brought to us by Memory Alpha, by the way. <clears throat> When a new signal appears over Saru's home planet, Burnham, Saru, and the crew embark on a perilous mission that puts Saru in danger and raises questions about the Red Angel's intentions. Hugh struggles to come to terms with his new reality. And there we are. Pretty good, pretty good. I, I like how they, how it's this like paragraph about Saru and then, oh right, and Hugh. Is also there. <laughs> well, that's about how the episode goes. Yeah, it's <laughs> the guy that just came back from the dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So quickly, like like we do at the beginning of of all of our uh, discovery podcasts, let's just sort of go around the table and give our general reactions to the episode. So, what did you guys think about this episode? Um, why don't we start with you, Jared? Oh, okay. So the thing that struck me that, and maybe I've mentioned this before, but that I'm really impressed with how they with how they're kind of threading the needle is when there'll be like command decisions the way that they can juggle the fact that Pike is in charge but Burnham is the main character like when there's the dispute and she kind of in between him Pike and Saru hmm. and she inserts herself to resolve it mm -hmm. uh, I thought that they do a, a really good job of balancing that right because like one of the challenges with Star Trek is you know why admirals always turn out to be evil is you can't just have the admiral giving the captain orders or then the captain isn't in charge right so they need to find a way to create conflict and show independence and agency by our hero and i feel like they're doing that really well with with burnham and pike nice. so I, I don't know if they like read a management book or something before they wrote <laughs> this, but i really feel like they're doing a great job of it awesome yeah good points uh how about how about you matt um, I would say that overall, I enjoyed a, a large portion of this episode, certainly performances. I think the first half is quite good. And then the more I think about the second half, the more I get sort of annoyed. But we'll <laughs> save that for later. <laughs> Brian, any thoughts? Yeah, um, I generally enjoyed the episode. I agree that, that it works better in the first half. And I feel like they definitely stretch the definition of the prime directive a little bit in this episode, but we can dive into that. Or a lot bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we can dive into that when we get into the main body of things. But overall, I thought it was fun. Awesome. Yeah, I think I agree with like all the points you guys made. Um, I agree about it also feeling like it was two halves um, mm -hmm. and having myself having very different reactions. The first time I watched it through, my initial reaction was I liked that episode, um, and there were, but there were things nagging at me about it. And the, mm -hmm. the longer I thought about it, the the more I couldn't 
let go some of the problems that I have with this episode, which, as we're all saying, we're going to get into very shortly here. Um, so, you know, I, I'm really torn and because there was something about this episode that I really liked that really worked for me. Um, and, and I can very well articulate the things that didn't work, but I'm sort of, I'm actually hoping that chatting with you guys over the next hour, um, I can maybe, you guys can maybe help me put a, put a finger on exactly what it was that, that clicked and what didn't for me. So. Thank you for using such a creative piece of language. Uh, normally we hang a lantern on things, but we're trying to <laughs> diversify some of the cliches we use. <laughs> I know, yes. Yeah, a little uh, a shout out to uh, anyone who may notice some specific phrases that we like to use here on the shuttle pod. Um, uh, Jared just hung a lantern on <laughs> on that um, aspect of the show. But seriously, we do have a lot of inside lingo. So all I got to say is, guys, you got to go back and watch the OG shuttle pods. Get yourself mm. get, get in on the joke. Exactly. Yeah, if you listen to them, these emerge sort of organically along the way. And then it's mm-hmm. just become sort of a joke that we use these sort of jargony phrases. We don't take it that seriously. I hope you don't either. <laughs> but, but if you do, we welcome feedback at trickmovie.com. <laughs> All right, so let's uh, let's get into some of the plot points and kind of move through and, and talk about various uh, specific aspects of this episode. A lot happened in this episode. Um, A lot. <laughs> an overwhelming amount of stuff happened in this episode. Yes. Uh, in fact, I think I feel like it could have been two episodes. Oh, very mm-hmm. much so. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. Uh, so I think that mean that that kind of ended up making a lot of it feel quite rushed. Because um, they were telling this huge storyline with th- the whole thing with Saru and Kaminar, and it just like you have to adjust so quickly to all these things are happening. And then they also shoehorned in the Hugh thing, and then there's the Red mm-hmm. Angel arc over the top. But that's kind of a pattern of the season so far. They try to shoehorn a lot of material into an hour. Yeah, mm. and you know what's crazy is they actually focus primarily on the Saru thing. And did sort of put the other stuff on the back burner. And even still, we feel like we could have used two episodes for it. Hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's it's a good point. really a lot. They have I mean, a they lot have, of story to they, tell, I guess. They have a lot. Yeah. Um, the little tiny bit of Culver that we got, I thought was really great. I thought it was a nice bit of follow up. I wish, of course, we could have seen more. But <clears throat> I also I liked that Culver and Saru kind of have a moment where Saru is like, well, maybe you don't feel like yourself how you used to feel but this is how like you feel like how you're going to be like what who you're supposed to be mm-hmm. you know kind of this like you both are going through a change for the better which was nice and like kind of a nice positive thing of saru to say to hugh i i thought honestly i, f- I felt that moment was a little odd because it it seemed to me like saru was going over and trying to comfort Culber, but in reality he was just talking about himself he totally was. And it, it's, I, I have a feeling they thought it was supposed to be comforting, though. It, it, <laughs> you know? it wasn't very empathetic of, for the most empathic soul <laughs> in the universe. Yep. I, I didn't feel yep. like it was very empathetic because Colbert is there like, struggling with this thing. And what is he yeah. talking about? You're becoming someone you're meant to be. Uh, well, and again, I think that's almost like fourth wall breaking of like, hey, this is the theme. Did you know this is the theme? Saru's going to say the theme. I get, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Empathy. Yeah. Which empathy is, watch. Which is, <laughs> I do say though, I really like the the little bit later stuff with Colbert and Stamets. That's the substantial part, I think. And I like that Colbert, you know, isn't just fine. Like he's right. having a weird time in his body because, like, 
think about that. Like that's a insanely weird situation, right? Like you, you like all of your sensory input is a little off. It's a little different than you remember it being. That would be so weird and disconcerting. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what I find weird about that scene though is like he's so obviously uncomfortable, and Stamets is kind of oblivious to it. I agree. I thought that was weird. I think he's just blinded that he's just so damn happy that Culver's alive that he's missing it. How could you not pick that up? It's so obvious. Yeah, it's selfish of Stamets to act that yeah, way. Yeah. He he really is missing it, and that's a that's important. That well, because you know his whole grieving process is ski wampus, right? Yes. So, so I mean, I'm inclined yeah. to be to forgive him, but I I can understand. That's fair. That's your, really your fair. points. And I do like the scar story. That's a cool story about why he kept the scars, since of course, in theory, you don't sure. really need to have scars anymore. Dermal regenerators or whatever. Yeah, mm. yeah, that, yeah. So I like that that like he did it as a reminder from a being stupid and b the reason why he was inspired to become a doctor. Mm. It's like don't you know kind of the stupidity of youth, but also that led into something really great. So that's awesome. Yeah, nice little bit of backstory for him. Nice for sure. little bit. And that's all we see of him. Sorry, Hugh. That's it. <laughs> um, but I do have to say, like. I think he must have been working out in the Sporeverse or something. Oh, yeah. Wow. Dude, <laughs> you, could, <laughs> you could grate cheese on those shoulders. <laughs> yes, you could. Wilson Cruz, he does love his guns. It's yes, well, it was and, he, a, and he makes sure everybody knows it. We all had tickets to the gun show that day. Ka-ching. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wasn't sad. Do, 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 we, do we have any more uh, metaphors about... About his uh, incredible shape he's in. <laughs> About his BB arms. <laughs> <laughs> uh, moving on. Moving on, just as quickly as the episode did. <laughs> um, the, so the next thing happens is we get another red burst. It is another sign from the red angel, maybe. And it shows up over, yes, that's right. That is my home world of Kaminar. Convenient, isn't What a coinkydink. Yeah. But I think I, I feel like they um, they all kind of have that reaction, right? They're like, "Hmm, that's they do." Strange. They, I think they, I think Pike even calls it out that like this seems to be no coincidence. Like we're investigating them, and suddenly it shows up under over my first officer's like home planet. Yeah. So, and then there's a there's a nice uh, scene on the bridge that Jared mentioned. You mentioned in your in your re- general reactions. Mm. Um, between Pike and Saru and then Burnham, where mm-hmm. Pike, I feel rightfully, says basically, Saru, you're not going to be a part of the away team to get oh, up to Kaminar. That's, that's totally the right decision from a mm-hmm. command standpoint. Yeah. Saru's totally compromised by his own, you know, oh, right yeah. so. Yeah, and I'm glad you used that term because it reminded me of the scene in 2009 where Spock uh, mm-hmm. goes into timeout because he's, quote, emotionally compromised, unquote. Yep. Oh, yep. yeah. It's, it's a lot like that. Yeah. And, you know, when he, the fact that he ends up sending him down um, in the end, I was okay with because that's not just a Star Trek trope. That's just a TV trope. You know, it's mm-hmm. like the the detective and their partner gets killed. And so they're going to be the one to investigate mm. the case. Like, that would nice. never right. happen. Yeah, right. yeah, no yeah. one's going to take them off the case. Yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. like, this is, it, it was my partner. I'm going to be the one to find them. And yeah. they're like, uh-huh. okay. Yeah. The, yeah. the day before he retired, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And apparently Burnham has watched a lot of, you know, old cop shows and knew exactly what he was going to do because she just, she walks away from her station during a crisis and follows him to the transporter room. 
yeah. oh in that yeah. when he when he's gonna the second time he's going down yes yeah. yeah yeah well so but even in this first time we can see we can see the saru that we saw in pavo appear you know mm-hmm. this this like a little out of control um starting to get all that t- like all that adrenaline surge through his veins like he's you know like oh my he, honestly like don't mess with a big tall dude that can like donkey kick you you know what i mean like look out so yeah yikes i thought he was being yikes. totally insubordinate he was yeah and that's yeah, yeah. why pike said get the hell off the bridge you know yeah. rightfully so again well even at the, even in the first instance where he's saying you don't think i can carry out my duties and because I, I think yep I, all of that's all of that's not not good well while like, i was okay. watching that i said out loud as if i were pike like in my ready room now exactly <laughs> you know what i mean exactly. like do not talk to me that that way in front of the crew yeah exactly yeah, like like how Pike says rank doesn't matter when he first comes in and he's being all friendly, yeah. but there's sometimes when it needs to. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. Yeah, this is this is that weird thing where like they can't make Pike like too much of the captain because he's only here for the season and he's trying to sort of be nice to everybody. Like there's all these reasons that he they sort of like are inconsistent with Pike, you know, mm-hmm. and how firm he is uh, as a captain, and yeah. it kind of sucks because yeah, he should have called him out for that. Yeah, I see. I don't feel that Pike should be waffling because he happens to be you know just visiting he he is the captain no no of the i don't think he should be i think i think i'm, I'm referring to like the writer's waffle on him because of yeah that. Well, that's... no he shouldn't be you're right he's in command of the discovery he should yeah. not be waffling yeah. yeah right yeah although i think he ends up handling the situation well in the end it's like and it all goes well in the end i think of that at least of that scene of this portion yeah, yeah. mm-hmm all right, so then finally they agree to send Burnham and Saru down to the planet. And I love how Pike's like, why don't you start with your old village? At first, you know, at first he's like, you're not going at all on this time. He's like, why don't you go find your sister? So they send they send him down and they stumble upon Sarana, who I lovingly mm-hmm. call Sriracha. <laughs> <laughs> so Saru and, Saru and Sriracha are reunited. Um, and... Doug Jones and Hannah Spear are fantastic in this. Oh, so good. Yeah, they feel mm. like siblings. Yeah, they yep. do. Yeah. And the whole that whole scene where Serana is reacting to Burnham, you know, this alien on her planet. She didn't even know aliens existed until that moment. I thought it was really cool. Yes, I liked everything about it. I will say I expected her to react with a little more fear for a fear-based species. But otherwise, mm. it's Agreed. a really beautiful scene. But it's cool yeah. when she's holding her hand and yeah, looking at her. That. and Yeah, it's really neat. That's like what you want first contact to go to be. You know what I mean? You're like, oh, look, like everything's fine. Like you, you're amazed by it. You accept it. You know what I mean? Like that's ideal. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So that so they have this nice reuniting moment um, and they go back to Serana's hut for tea. Um, and we have another sort of the flip side of that where Serana feels hurt that she re- when she realizes that Saru didn't actually come back to see her, he came back as part of this mission to gather information and mm-hmm. and then just unloads, you know, you left us 18 years ago. You never said anything. We didn't know if you were alive. And yep. so all of her emotions are coming out. And that was also, I thought, a really nice scene. Well, because then her grieving process has been messed with, too. 
Yeah. Because yeah. presumably she's moved on to acceptance at some point many years before, and then now it's completely thrown out of whack. Yeah. Well, no, she's never accepted it because she straight up says that she saw him leave in the light in the sky, and that's one of the that's one of her motivating factors. Oh. So she's okay. not sure what she's not sure what happened to him though. Mm. She's not sure. So she's if just if kind of been the, stuck. Yeah, she's not sure if the bowel took him because the, you know, the seeing eye was pissed at him or what. She, she even says that that's one of the reasons why she's motivated to take over, like the priest, the local priesthood, from mm-hmm. her father was she was hoping that that would put her in a position of, you know, uh, contact with the Ba'ul somehow. I mean, obviously it doesn't really work out. But anyway, she says she was hoping to figure it out. Because mm. if you remember back to the short track, she actually does catch a glimpse of him leaving. Mm-hmm. And I think which they, they show it. That. Yeah, they show it again mm-hmm. in this episode. Yeah, this episode, you didn't need to see the short tracks really at all. They actually included a bunch of segments from it. So Yeah, I, I still think to. it there helped. Oh, it does help, but you didn't have to. They did a good job right. with that, I thought. So they're unloading this baggage, and then uh, the bull kind of get pissed, huh? Yep, all of a sudden they realize that, hey, you have one of our Kelpians, and we want it back. Yeah, which is interesting. It's funny that they like didn't really miss this Kelpian, but now they sort of reappeared. They're like, hang on a second. <laughs> you have one of our people. Right, right. yeah, hmm. So, and then they demand him back, of course. And there's a really great Pike speech where he's like, no, Saru is our people. Yes. Which is really nice. And then Saru turns around and just turns himself over. So, so much for all that posturing and protection. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, they, I mean, I mean I, to be you fair, see why he does it. to, like, destroy yes. his whole village and his sister yes. and everything. It, it absolutely makes sense why. I also really like, again, Doug Jones acting through all this makeup is amazing mostly with his eye like mm. eye acting you see his eyes sort of go back and forth and you can see this like no do i go to my quarters or do i get go to the transporter room do i go to my quarters do i go to the transporter room? nope i'm getting out of here i'm gonna go do this and like you, you can see it you know this <laughs> decision process on his face which is amazing because his face is pretty much covered in silicone but it's amazing mm-hmm. so there he goes off to turn himself into the bowl and then this is the scene, Brian, that you talked about earlier, where where Burnham just leaves the bridge, and, <laughs> yep. yeah, yeah, <laughs> and follows him. <laughs> Major crisis just doesn't, follows him. Doesn't call security <laughs> to intercept him, right? You know, yeah. Well, then they couldn't have had that nice emotional moment. Yeah, and he couldn't basically guilt chip her like true like true family. <laughs> and of course, the obligatory Spock reference. Had to oh come my in. goodness, yes. And there we go, Spock reference number Spock? one. Spock. Yep. Spock! He's a part of this whole thing, we promise. <laughs> so that guilt trips her, so she drops her phaser and it's 60 seconds timeout, and he's gone. So at this point, Saru, you know, Saru is down on the planet. Him and... No, he's on the, the bowl ship. Does he go straight there? Anyway, he gets to the bowl ship, and then eventually they bring Serana, his sister, up there as well. Um, and meanwhile, they're back on the ship. They're trying to figure out if they can get more clues as to, you know, what actually the history of this planet is and what really the story is. Because it seems clearly like there's there's a lot of the story that they don't understand. They don't really understand the motivation of the Ba'ul. And they think, well, maybe if we can figure out something about how this planet mm-hmm. actually works, you know, we can get some insight into their thought process. So they go yep. to their 
magic device, <laughs> magic plot device, <laughs> the sphere. The sphere. The sphere of data. <laughs> yes. That slice of galaxy pie. You yeah, mentioned. yeah, yeah. That was a great like, line. That was cute. <laughs> yeah. It was a nice little interruption to the speech because one thing that I struggle to get into are Discovery's self-important speeches. And so to have a little bit of Tilly thrown in there to lighten the mood was very nice. Mm-hmm. And Arium's in there crunching data, which I thought was good to skitter off like the bridge. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of cool to see. Put her to good use, for sure. Mm-hmm. So she's crunching the numbers and, you know, Michael has some line like, we have to figure out who Saru is figuring out who he is. We need to figure out who is Saru too, or something like that. And so they they come up with this plan to, to look at the history of the populations of Baul and pre Vaharai Kelpians and post Vaharai Kelpians on the surface, or as they yes. call them evolved and unevolved. Yes. Ugh. we'll save it, but yes. Ugh. that's not the right time. All right. Anyway, we'll come back to that. Going. Yes, we have lots to say about that. Not now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this, is, this is not the only time Star Trek has misused that word. Yes, they have, they, they have a history of misuse. It's true. <laughs> uh, but the other thing I thought was interesting that Matt maybe you want to mention is this idea of um, this sort of da- this just data repository as a sort of crush oh. slash plot device. <laughs> well, so this data repository thing as a kind of plot device is not unique to Discovery. Um, it's essentially been used in both later Voyager seasons and Enterprise. In Voyager, Seven of Nine had that handy Borg database to look stuff up in a lot that was mighty helpful mm-hmm. at times. And then in Enterprise, they had the Vulcans database that often had some, you know, more information than Earth Starfleet had at that point. And boy, was that sure helpful. Mm-hmm. So it's not exactly a new thing. It's still a little eye-rolly, but it's also, again, a thing that we've used, we've leaned on before in Trek series. So, you know. It, it's, a right. way to, it's a way to kind of cheat to have them know what the situation is while also being able to say, this is unlike anything we've ever seen before. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, the sphere has seen millions of years of galactic history has. Um, so... There you go. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was yeah. I was less appalled by it when you reminded me of the ways that they've used that plot device in the past. And I was like, eh, you're right. That is kind of... And I mean, let's be fair. They seriously, like, <laughs> told us that they were going to come back to this data and it was going to be useful. You know what I mean? When, in, when they got it in the first place. Mm-hmm. It was very clear telegraphing that it was going to be used mm-hmm. somehow. Sure. So, we expected it. Um but yeah, what about that data, Kayla? What did they find? So this is the big the big twist that changes everything, right? So mm-hmm. they go through and they find out that there's a period of time in which the Ba'ul were almost completely wiped out. They almost were completely extinct. Yep. And that then they, they, they came back, they had a resurgence. But when they did, they wiped out the post-Vaharai slash... Uh, evolved Kelpians and kept mm-hmm. only the pre-Vaharai unevolved Kelpians around. And so yep. it became clear that the, the Vaharai um, was the, the pre the keeping them all pre-Vaharai was a way to keep them all docile 
um, and not allowing them to evolve to the point where they were a threat to the Ba'ul. Um, mm, right. And this, of, right. this, of course, tells us that the the predator-prey relationship has been completely switched. And currently, yep. you know, we're, we've been mm. thinking the Kelpians are this prey species and they're, they're, they're being oppressed and they're being held hostage and being called by the Ba'ul. And it turns out that this whole setup, the whole balance that they maintain is a result of the Ba'ul themselves being the prey species and almost being completely wiped out by the Kelpians in the past. So that changes a lot. Which is, I mean, is not uncommon in human history that if you have a species that is kept underfoot, or not a species, but you have a culture that's kept underfoot by another one, and when they get the chance to get the upper hand, they tend to take revenge. Right. Sure. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like like in, you know, Hotel Rwanda, the Hutus killed the Tutsis, right? But decades before, before proceeding up to that, the Tutsis had been oppressing the Hutus, right? Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So where are we? What happens next? Well, so we figured out that these Kelpians were being kept pre-Vaharai. And for them, for some reason, and this doesn't really follow, but okay, they've, they, they land on, like the Discovery crew lands on the idea that the way forward is to trigger all the Kelpians to go to their second phase of life and make them all post-Vaharai Kelpians. Uh. I don't understand why this is the conclusion exactly but they mm-hmm. do yeah um, I, know, I know that saru of course is advocating for it and he feels it's the right thing but nobody really pushes back on it either it's very strange yeah um so they do that well, we can talk about the ethics of it sort of later but they do that everybody's triggered through questionable means as well is <laughs> triggered um and in the middle of all this, of course, the Ba'ul freak out because they don't want a planet full of angry, super strong predators, right? Mm-hmm. And attempt to activate all the, like, I think it's 4,056 or something. It's over 4,000 pylons in each village to basically just blow up and eradicate each village. Mm-hmm. And that's, of course, not okay with anyone. Pike, you know, is mad. And that's way too many targets to target to destroy all at once. So they're freaking out and they don't know what else to do when, well, who shows up? The Red Angel shows up. Da, 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 da. Hooray. And since Just they're... Just in the nick of time. Yep. That's right. Since they, they have now activated all those pylons at once, they're straining their energy resources, and bam, the Red Angel could come in and like basically uh, launch an EMP, kind of, and overwhelm their defenses and blow everything out. Hooray. Thanks, Red Angel. Um, and Saru <laughs> gets a good look since, as we established back at the beginning of the season, Saru has superhuman eyesight. Thanks, Saru. Hashtag so Saru Ability Watch. Yeah, Saru Ability Watch. <laughs> so Saru gets a really good look for our first time. You know, just about halfway through the season, we get a really good look. Yeah, that was that was at, satisfying. I have to say. Yeah, it was really nice to see. So thank goodness, it's not a deity of some sort, something divine. It's very clearly like a person in yeah. a suit. I think it's a female person too. And it yes. very much looks like it's got kind of the curves of a female. Yes, I agree. It's got those childbearing hips. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Now, now the question is, who do we think that is? Yes. There's so this has been really fun. I have to say because people online are are like tweeting their theories 
and joke theories for like who is the red angel and some of them mm-hmm. are great basically, some of the jokes especially are yeah so basically mm. any anyone dressed as red from the entire series people are posting like when that that sh- that uh scene of kirk wearing those bright red leggings <laughs> someone posted oh that. right in his mm. workout leggings yeah. yeah someone posted um Riker in his like the like American gladiator yeah. and Bojitsu and, and, and yes. Bojitsu and Bojitsu yeah. yes yes yeah. I like that it. is a, a great moment from an otherwise mediocre Riker story yes <laughs> Indeed. I agree yes yes do we have our own theories I I definitely I think it's Burnham yeah that's I think that's who I would guess yeah it's really hard not to be like oh it's Burnham from come, from, come the from the future from the, back, from the future yep. somehow yeah because it's a time traveling humanoid female that's mm. what it seems like yep yep and it's gonna be somebody we know it yeah. has to have got to some be somebody of, important it has to yeah. Ha- yeah it has to have some sort of emotional payoff otherwise so why would they got- hide it yeah right right so i all right so we all agree so we all agree it's burnham it is yeah. but here's my off the wall idea it's amanda <laughs> oh okay that's i doubt it that's just a fun off the wall here's idea. another off the wall idea it's may <laughs> yeah. uh, wow using the spores yeah. to jump around in space and time they didn't know that the jump spores around. could also make you travel through time mm, okay yeah sure <laughs> that's why that's, the hell not that's reasonable <laughs> we they do strongly hint that we'll see may again so you know or how about this it is tasha yar come back oh for, people love to, that. to avenge her own death at the hands of Armis, who is actually a Ba'ul. Okay, Armis is know, a Ba'ul's cousin. <laughs> th- there was yeah. a couple episodes ago where I was thinking about Armis, right? Because it says he was from a race of titans that was cast off. So uh, I'm glad I'm not the only one whose mind went to the skin of evil. Oh, well, yeah. Well, also, yeah. the Ba'ul is so obviously looks like one. That's where a lot of people went. Yeah, they're a more sophisticated version of Armis. Mm. Right. I mean, Armis looked, Armis looked like a freaking oil slick. <laughs> like a dude yeah. in a trash bag. Dude in a trash bag, yeah. It was awful. God. Yeah. At the time, it wasn't. Yeah, it was. Really? It's, it's still... I find it weird and disturbing, I have to say. Yeah. It's really no, weird. No, my husband... Yeah, my but husband... it was so obvious back then. It was... You know what I think is fun? Actually, the more obvious one is... um. Dang it. The... Uh... The Sheliac looked more like a guy in a trash bag, if you ask me. Mm, but, yeah, yeah. The Sheliac yeah, did not look great. True. There's a reason they didn't get a, a second appearance. And also why they're in the dark most of the time. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. I do like the way they shot the Ba'ul in this episode, because you never really get a good look at them. No. He's they're very creepy. focus at times. They're in the dark. You see pieces of them. It's very I creepy. thought they were awesome. I love yeah, the I creature they're... design. I thought they did a nice job with that. And as far as we know, a whole a, a whole lot of that was practical because that was done by yep. a colleague of Doug Jones's who who is like who can bend himself like in insane ways. Like that's what he's known for. He's like another creature, you know, from horror creature movie guy mm-hmm. named mm-hmm. Javier Botet. And like that's what he does is crazy weird stuff. Kind of like Doug Jones, but even weirder because he can bend himself in really weird ways. He was born that way. And so they found the right guy for that, for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's very cool. Um, speaking of this, just 
sparked a thought in my brain. Speaking of, um, like Brian, you mentioned the directing or, or in the camera movements and things and the lighting around the bowl. <laughs> um, I thought some of the other camera work was extremely distracting. Like that scene was great. Yeah. Oh, I, oh, totally I, agreed. I think I know what you're talking about. Well, it, the most egregious <laughs> the was at the, yes, at the beginning, oh. yes. the, what I call the merry-go-round there, scene. Yes, oh my, my God. God, it's dizzy. Where they're spinning there's, around. There's no need for that. There's no need. And for they that. did it again. It was almost comically bad. Yeah, it was distracting. Yeah, they did it. They did it far too much. Like you could do a slow pan around people as an introduction, but what is what's wrong with cutting between the three people as they talk about? Yeah, it? and they wanted to, they they wanted to move the camera around so you weren't just having boring static shots, but it felt like they went too much to be like point the camera there because art. Yeah. Mm. Yes. They did. It was way too much, and it was too fast. And that's been a problem the whole season. It has. This one was particularly bad. I feel. Yeah, this, I haven't yeah, noticed. Really I, I really liked the directing, and and the um, the, like the the photography direction in other episodes, but this one I just didn't. It didn't sit with me. So we have a lot. We have a lot to unpack about this episode. Um, so I wanted to make sure that there are. Are there any other points that people want to bring up? We haven't talked at all about Ash Tyler, my least favorite character. Yeah, he gets a good, a couple of good moments, I think. I just want Ash to like go to the barber. I just feel Wash like he looks like. Hair. Yeah, especially am I, like. Am I, am I the only one who noticed now, that? No, no, no. It's totally oh, true. No. So look, in this episode, he is not only like now he's dropped his Section Thirty One like leather for some reason. He's back in a Starfleet uniform. So, like, dude, if you, if you put on the uniform, you know there's, like, a dress code that goes with that yeah. uniform, buddy. Yeah. Go, like, go get like a haircut. If, if Roland <laughs> can't wear her earring, he he needs he needs to go visit Mott the Barber. He needs to he, bathe. He, right. he reminds me of, like, uh, yeah. the fourth season of Battlestar Galactica when, like, Gaius Baltar had his own cult. I'm like, <laughs> oh, come on. You're, you're in the army, man. Anyway. Yes. Yeah. It's weird. But I will say, though, I do like that they have this discussion since Tyler's the Section 31 liaison. And so Pike at the end, who doesn't trust Tyler at all, but he shows up with a pad and just says, here, like in the interest of like cooperation, here's Saru's report of like what he saw. And it's kind of it's really interesting that, of course, like they have opposing viewpoints, right? Like Pike feels that the Red Angel is leading them there and for a good, you know, for a good cause, like Discovery's charging to the rescue based on the bursts and of course tyler representing section 31's interests says like no way we don't we don't even know you know kind of the causal order like is the red angel causing it or is it showing up to to respond to things sure, which is right? fair. like we don't know that which is totally fair but i also like that pike says well seems like section 31 is a little paranoid which is kind of hilarious yeah, and it's awesome. that's a classic that's a classic like well of course most spy agencies are a little aren't they sure that's their job um, right and of course you know that's basically what tyler says is look that's our job um and he has a really good uh line about the how section 31 wants to avoid a war again so soon especially and what the kind of toll it took especially on those who fought it and that's like some really evil shit to say like in a, in a good way like that's some serious gut punch because tyler is both speaking about himself from both sides of it and he is also totally poking pike's sore spot because yeah pike 
had to set the war out and it drives him bananas that he was on like the five-year mission way out on the other side of the galaxy and couldn't help yeah and it's Mm -hmm. really good and anson mount does a really good job having this kind of anguished look on his face after taylor says it and they just that's the end of the episode it's just this kind of like unhappy sort of distraught look from pike because he knows exactly what tyler's getting at and he knows tyler just poked him in a sore spot like they all know that yeah. they've totally both know that they did that to each but other i don't i don't mm. know why tyler is he's just seems overly emotional and overly overly like he's upset and he's just creating drama in this scene to me he just seems like he's mm. just gonna be pissed off no matter what pike comes over and says here I, this is a gesture of good faith here's the data we just gathered like here's all of our data and then tyler's just like oh and it, you know and it just starts in on him well no he, i mean not really he like, says like, like pike, to me it looks like a looks like an adult and a child sitting across the table from one another and pike <laughs> is completely composed and like a gentleman and is making mm. perfectly good arguments. And then Tyler's like, well, as soon they're going to kill us all. And we have to, we have to, you know, nip this in the bud before they destroy the galaxy. And then, and then just like digs the knife in about this whole, you didn't fight in the war thing. And it just seems like he's using it. It's like, if you're going to say something like that, meet, have respect for it as well yourself, because you're, you're just using it to be a jerk. Like, I just thought he was unnecessarily being jerky and, like, emo. Yeah. That last comment certainly was, yeah. I thought the whole thing. I thought I think his whole attitude is gross. I, don't, I like, really hate the character now. I, did, I never wow. really Funny. liked him. I don't think he's being... I don't yeah, think I he's didn't being really like, like him either. I don't think he's being, like, a jerk purposefully. He's representing Section 31's interests, and they're kind of jerks. You know well, what I mean? maybe he's drunk. But... He's completely drunk the Kool-Aid then. Mm, I th- yeah. Well, yeah, he basically he said as much in the last episode. Too, yeah, he? he did, exactly. Yeah, he did rapidly. That's really yeah. interesting but that he did. Yes, it is interesting. He he said as much though last last ep or two episodes ago, he was like, "Oh yeah, I feel like I fit at thirty one. Like people don't think that, but I totally fit here or whatever." So yeah, he drunk that Kool Aid, <laughs> yeah. big time. I just I never liked the character. Uh, he's he's and now especially the way they have him looking and acting, he's such a slime ball. Just a yeah. Dude. I imagine we're supposed to think that since Pike doesn't trust him and Pike's like our guy to identify with. Yeah. Sure. You know, but we'll see. Um, one nice, really nice little bit to, to bring it back to something really nice at the, towards the end also was when Saru brought Serana back and we have this really great shot of Serana sort of mouth agape seeing her world from above for the first time it was a really beautiful shot mm. and it was a really nice moment. Yeah, I love when they do that. It, it, it reminded me of that scene in uh, Who Watches the Watchers. The Watchers. Yeah, yeah, takes totally. the yes. Mintonkin woman up. I love that episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. The thing I like best about that episode is we go to a planet where people don't all look like humans. They look like another alien. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, they anyway. still kind of look like humans. Sure, oh, but, you know, proto-Vulcan humanoids. I thought that was cool. Yes. Sure, sure, sure. Anyway, slight digression. So the, la- right. the last thing I wanted to note before we we dive mm-hmm. in to the ethical issues that we've been alluding to um, is a note here that I didn't know until I looked at our show notes. So thank you to Matt for compiling this. Mm. Um, yes, thank you, Matt. Th- note, oh, the title. Note, yeah, note on the title, which is A Sound of Thunder, which is potentially inspired by a Ray Bradbury short of the same name. Hmm. and it, Almost the same name. Uh, oh, A Sound of Thunder and The Sound of Thunder. Right, right. 
Almost the same. So yeah, <laughs> just about the same same name. Yeah, um, and that is credited as the original term, uh, the the as the origin for the term the butterfly effect. Oh, cool. Which when which is basically about the consequences of time travel, and obviously sure. we know the Red Angel is a time traveling humanoid, mm-hmm. and and has wings the way butterflies have wings. Yeah, yeah. there you go. And these unintended consequences. And so I sincerely hope that that means there's a payoff to some of these things that we think are useful, that we think are helpful, have a ripple effect somewhere. Yeah, that that when I read that, um, I hadn't I didn't realize that that was the or I hadn't put the two and two together, um, realizing that that was the name of that short. Um, And after Mm. making that connection, I was like, ah, okay, that's really, really interesting that. That yeah. makes, lets me like sort of not draw final conclusions on some of the stuff from the season yet. Yeah. So that may both sort of refer to the Red Angel itself and perhaps the actions taken by the crew to unleash post Vahare Kel- Kelpians. I hope, actually, that we see some consequences from this. Yeah. So, okay, let's talk about this because. Let's talk about that. This okay. is the huge elephant in the room, the cloud perhaps hanging over this whole thing. <laughs> Yes. That I think is not sitting well with a lot of people and just it's it's also sparking a lot of discussion, which I love. So this whole idea of basically basically the ethical dilemma comes in the decision by the Discovery crew to trigger all of the Kelpians into Vaharai. All at once, too. By all the way. at once. Like, really? Mm-hmm. Despite their age. Right. Just yeah. Just so apparently, like, probably, I guess, children are going through Vaharai. How traumatic it is! It's completely traumatic, and you know they knew this. Saru even says to Serana, "This is going to be like you're being torn apart from the inside. It's going to be way worse for you than it was for me, and it was really bad for him." Mm-hmm. And it's this idea that the that the Kelpians have been this oppressed quote unquote species, but now we have this new information that says, "Oh, it's not so cut and dry." Right. Right. Because this information right. from the sphere puts everything into a new context that says, hey, actually, the Kelpians used to be the oppressors. And we know that there there is a balance and the balance that's being maintained all of a sudden makes sense. So <laughs> let's go ahead and meddle with this culture. Yeah. yeah. And yet they make this decision like it was cut and dry, like it yeah. was so obvious. It's like, no. What could go no. wrong? Right. It's so obvious yeah. what could go wrong. And it's it's crazy to me that because at the beginning of the episode, Pike was going on and on about, well, maybe not on and on, but certainly considering General Order 1, a sort of... Yeah, and that was just about directive. revealing Burnham, basically, and the and existence of other people to, to them. They're, right. they're treating General Order 1 as if it's simply a first contact protocol, and it's not. No, that's right. Yeah. It's much more than it's, that. It's non-interference, directive of non-interference sure. in other cultures, right? Yes. And sure. so... Right. Yep. They, they come to the conclusion, and I was kind of okay with it at the beginning, where they're like, well, the um, the Ba'ul know about warp, and they had, this, you know, they had their reasons for saying, well, it's yeah. not first contact, fine. And, and Pike is like, look, you can stretch it, and that's true, it's stretching it, and that's He even fine. says, let's stretch you know? it, but let's try not to break it. Let's not break it, yep. Mm-hmm. And I just... And you know they're going to break it. Yeah, I guess. Boy, talk I mean, about telegraphing it. Let's not break it, and then like, here we go. This is a massive. Break. Yeah, as soon as he said that, I was like, oh, they're totally gonna break it. <laughs> oh, and I right before uh, he sends Burnham and Saru down to Kaminar, when he agrees to let Saru go down, he says, "We're here to gather information about the Red Angel, not to start a war between the Kelpians and the Baul." 
Yep. And then he turns around mm-hmm. and makes this decision, which is clearly a war starting decision. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Saru and Burnham kind of pushed for this. And I don't understand why. I understand why Saru would, but I don't. Yeah. Burnham should not, as a science officer, she should not be pushing for it. You know, all these things. I just. And Pike shouldn't be allowed to be sort of convinced so easily either. Well, and I it's would think weird. Burnham would have learned her lesson from disobeying orders. I would think she would be, oh, at this point, after, you know, the Battle of Binary Stars, she would be as conservative of an officer as, uh, what's his name, Captain Esteban in Star Trek Three. <laughs> no oh, one yeah. can be as ridiculous as that guy. Good old JT Esteban. <laughs> <laughs> Yellow alert in space dock. How can that be? <laughs> no, no, that's Oh, you're else. thinking of Captain Styles. Oh, that's Styles. Yeah, sorry, yeah. sorry. No, Esteban no, is the yeah. one Esteban. who... Uh, Gosh, can't make to save his life. I can't believe Jeez, you got that wrong. Sorry, the other, on, the other obnoxious captain in that in Star Trek. Are you even? Yeah, are you even really to... a fan? I know. Yeah. What's by the way? Oh, well, hey, look, I know the name of Pike's horse. Okay, so you whatever. Do. Okay. You better, no, no. man. I better. So anyway, yes, yes, Esteban, who can't make a decision to save his life, right? Without rec- without by checking, without checking, or yeah, signaling back to Starfleet, and my got to do it by okay. the book. Yeah, by the book. Yeah. So this is not by the book. No, it's in any way, shape, or form. It's the opposite. What's the opposite of yeah. by the book? Throwing out the book. Throwing yeah. out the book. Yeah. Out, out of the box. <laughs> out of the <laughs> Maybe. planet. Out of the atmosphere. But so you know, okay, so I could see someone trying to make a good argument for this, but like, no one actually makes a good argument as to why this should be done and it, and why it needs to be done this second this, into yes, everyone exactly why it needs to be done uh, now. Right. No one makes a good argument for that. I don't see why. I don't understand it. Yeah, me neither. And this is Saru acting impulsively and, frankly, being vengeful. Yes. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And in fact, the, in fact, doing this makes them <laughs> makes them really piss off the bell and want to commit genocide. The bull previously were not exactly committing genocide. They were sort of right. culling people, which is kind of genocidal, really, but not exactly in the same way. And this just makes them like pissed, and they want to do a mass genocide right now. Mm-hmm. So, so it forces the situation. We have this mm. great editorial on our website right now, trekmovie.com. Check it out. Um, <laughs> what was that website again, Kayla? Um, it's T R E K W W W. No, it's yeah. trekmovie.com. Check us out. Uh, so we have this excellent op-ed piece uh, by our site owner Tony Pascal, who. Um, entitled the bowl did nothing wrong changed my mind <laughs> oh great, great. <laughs> that meme it's like a picture yeah. of the bowl with the with the um table from that with meme that sign. and yeah with that sign on it yeah. <laughs> the bowl did nothing wrong changed my mind which is i told tony that that meme is the best thing we've ever done we can close the site now <laughs> <laughs> just to be clear folks but a lot of people don't seem to know what this is this is a, this is a satirical thing okay? very tongue-in-cheek about that's derived from there's a really there's a popular meme from avengers where they say thanos did nothing wrong oh okay and that's what he was trying to go from a lot of people took this very seriously and thought he was actually well um seriously star trek fans (laughs) taking something seriously he was seriously like coming out in favor of you know oppression and genocide and it's like no 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 well you know what this is just trying to get you to think about the fact that this is very unclear he makes a some great points in it actually that i think like right. I think someone coming gray. out on the side of the bubble is not ridiculous because right there's a lot of gray because you here. take a look at what what's happened. So this is a this is a prey species who was 
kill, almost called to extinction um, yep. by the post-Vahare Kelpians. And they had some kind of resurgence. They took, took it back and they got a technological advantage over this other predator species. And instead of completely killing them off, which they very well could have, they said we're gonna we're gonna keep them, but we're gonna just not let them go through this quote unquote evolution stage. We're gonna keep them only in as pre Vaharai. We're gonna make sure that they they never become predators again, and we're gonna keep right. this balance. So they they feel that there's um, that this is the only way that both species can coexist on the planet. So you know they were in a tough situation, and they made the, a decision that was self preserving, but also doesn't get rid of the Kelpians. And the Kelpians are not in any way, you know, necessarily subservient to the to the Ba'ul. They don't work for them. They, they are not livestock. They're not, you know, cold as livestock like to be eaten. They um, have a sort of idyllic existence. And Saru even Saru refers even to says. it as paradise. Yeah. You know, they're living this this agrarian lifestyle where they harvest the kelp and they get you know and it's this beautiful place and they have everything you know they have great lives and they live relatively long lives as well the only the thing that they give up is going through Baharai. and now of course it's still oppression of their species when when mm -hmm. the whole culture is set up to prevent them from learning about their history and learning about their own biology yes. and right. When they try to learn about it, they get in trouble. You know, they get, they probably were going to kill Saru, I guess. We don't know for sure, but they were, you know, there are consequences for trying to learn, trying to gain knowledge. And so obviously that's a form of oppression, but it's not like they weren't in concentration camps, you know? Sure. There was they a balance slaves. on this planet. And now Discovery comes in and completely <laughs> turns that on its head without even thinking about it. Well, and it's interesting because they're clearly going for like a Garden of Eden type of allegory here of they're they're uh, in this paradisiacal state, but they have no agency. Um, mm. And but the thing where they kind of turn it on its head is by making um, uh, it's not as though people would. I mean, I don't know. Would you say they're making Saru and his sister kind of like an Adam and Eve allegory? Because it seems like they're being pushed out of Eden by external forces rather than internal forces. Hmm. Yeah, I hadn't thought of the Eden allegory, but actually, yeah, that makes sense. But they're sort of by their own forces because they're the ones who choose, quote unquote, knowledge. They, they choose, okay. you know, right? Because the apple can represent knowledge, right? Sure, mm -hmm. sure. Like in the original series episode, the apple. The apple, yeah. Or, 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 or also the Bible, one of the two. <laughs> <laughs> I think that the apple was first. Oh, I think you're right. I think you're right. <laughs> that is the episode. That is the episode with the highest uh, red shirt count. Nice. Yeah. Yep. They Those step on. Guys. Yeah, they step on like mines. It gets struck by lightning. Yeah, it's it's a bloodbath. <laughs> it's a weird episode, but you know what? It is. It's a deeply weird. It's episode. funny you mention it because it's not that dissimilar to what we're dealing with here yes like I mean, yeah, it's another, it's and the way they flagrant. leave it is very similar yeah too. starfleet comes in and just says hey we don't like your society we think it sucks we're gonna <laughs> yep. change it and we're gonna force you to change against your will yep. bye and then we're just gonna leave it see ya <laughs> yeah. and everyone always has had a problem with that with the apple and they completely <laughs> repeated that here mm -hmm. so they do two things 
to kind of hand wave some of this away and it's not enough honestly the first is burnham to convince pike that it's okay to do this makes a reference of saying oh well the bill will still has this upper hand with their technology and so don't worry when you trigger these kelpians they'll still have that upper hand and it'll take a few generations before the kelpians will overrun them and it's like how does burnham know that well you know it's it's a projection of some sort of it's, it's an estimate it's yeah, it's not real in any. Yeah, no one could. But it's completely sure. unfounded. That's what I'm yeah, I agree with right, you, Brian. Yeah, There's no yeah and also know. at this point, by the way, we don't really know much about the Bellos technological level. Really, we don't know a lot about about that. Saru has seen them. No one else has. You know what I mean? Like, okay, whatever. Right. So she makes this wild guess. Basically, that seems to convince Pike to do <laughs> it's it. It's a wild guess. It it's is completely and unfounded. No, it totally is. And then Pike himself makes a um, throwaway line to the Ba'ul when they get pissed off that all the all of them are like Vaharai activated now. And he even says, okay, well, we are, we're going to, you know, we offer to like have mediation between you two so we can work this out. Well, they don't give a shit about that at this point. Yeah, also they're xenophobic, like, you, so they don't want your help. Right. They're xenophobic. They've made it very clear. As they even say in the beginning of the episode, they want nothing, you know, they already know that they've been told to stay away. They want nothing to do with it. They repeat that again, you know, over the columns when they actually answer the hail. They say, you know, what are you doing here? Oh, now you have one of our beings return it to us and leave, basically. You know, they don't want anything to do with it. Also, mm. so yeah. Did, did you cool. notice that they're, that the Ba'u must have really, uh, really, really good technology because they can, when they're just transmitting audio only to the, to the discovery, make the lights flicker along with what they're saying. <laughs> yeah. Oh, in, yeah. In their, in their evil bad guy voice. Yeah, all of a sudden the lights <laughs> dim and all of the lights on the bridge are flickering along to the Ba'u being like, we are the bowl. <laughs> that's Lightning. how. That's how you know it's evil until the twist. Then it's not. Anyway. Twist. So, twist. So yeah. What? But so they do this thing. Now what? Right. What do they do now? Yeah. Like the Kelpians now are all like super strong. Apparently prone to fits of rage and have built-in quills you know oh god that'll that's right kill you. hashtag saru ability watch yeah it's, it's not new ability and so yes like sure the kelpians might want peace in a sense right like they they've been conditioned to be docile but um does no one remember like hi do you remember saru and pavo he goes kind of aggro or saru right? now or saru now getting pretty crazed at a, at a few moments so now that's not to doom everyone to that because that's not fair, of course. But you know these guys are intensely like, uh, you know, controlled by their biology. It's the ganglia when they're young, and it seems to be this kind of other, uh, I don't know, fight and like protection response with their quills. Because Saru does this without meaning to at all. Mm-hmm. When when the bull like you know cage him basically. And the Bolo, of course, they already knew this was going to happen. They're behind a force field. The quills hit it, and they call them out, and they even say, "Oh, there's your you know primal feral response, the same as it was centuries ago." They knew this was going to happen, yeah. And so you can see why everyone should be really skeptical of this just working out, you know? 
I'm really skeptical of just Saru being okay. You know, it, yeah. which Pike was in oh, the yeah. beginning. He's like, how can we be sure that you're okay? You know, and that you can make cogent decisions. And, you know, how do we know that the post-Vaharai Kelpians aren't some vicious, mindless killing machines? We don't. Mm. No, we don't. And this, the, the Federation is is culpable for unleashing this on this planet. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I, I was joking a while ago, but I seriously think you could come back like in a hundred years and you might just find like arenas of blood sports with them fighting each other. I just, you know, who knows what this unleashes. <laughs> or you might just right. find no Baul left and then the, the, right, and then the Federation all. is guilty yeah. of, of assisting in genocide. Yep. Right. In other words, so, who knows what crop will spring from the seed they planted today? <laughs> <laughs> Why, yes. <laughs> Indeed. Very good, Jared. So, Thank you. I was hoping I think, I'd be able to take, get the take quote notes, exactly right. Take notes for your next film idea, J.J. Abrams. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think this leads into another question of sort of a larger question. And one of the things that I really wish um, that there had been two parts to this so we'd have more time to understand the culture mm-hmm. is like, we don't understand why the Baal even care to have the Kelpians around. Why yeah. did, if they get the upper hand, screw it. Why didn't they just wipe them out? I don't, I don't understand why they even care. Um, they were certainly ready to pull the trigger if need be to just wipe them out. They had that in their back pocket, as we saw when they all got Vaharaid and they were ready to just nuke them all, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, so it raises the question of, why did the Baal even care? They, they, they clearly like both fear and despise them, right? They think they're terrible and they're obviously very afraid of them. And as Saru said, the Baal do seem to be frail. So like they have a good reason to be like fearful of these robust, you know, Kelpians. But then why did they keep them around at all? You know, I would love to know that there was a good reason for it. Um, I mean, it could be a moral decision, you know, that they did. They sure. got together and they said, look, we don't want to genocide this whole species. So let's absolutely. Find and then an amicable solution. Sh- it, yeah. it would be nice to know that, though. Yeah, you I know agree. What I mean? It would have been nice information. Another reason I thought of is um, that, that, again, going back to this idea of balance, is that they know the Kelpians are useful for the ecology of the planet, that they serve a purpose tending they to harvest the kelp. kelp yeah, they serve a purpose. It's just so and funny because so, they're I called know, Kelpians. It's so, <laughs> know, it's so literal. But it, again, it could have been a sort of practical, kind of pragmatic thing of like, well, we do, we, you know, we do feel that it would be better to have them than to not have them. It might be better, sort of, for the biome that they exist. But we'll just cull them before they get it crazy, right? So it would just be nice to know, like. Why? What was what was the reason, right? Like, why did they even bother to keep them? Yeah, it just feels weird. Well, do you guys think not. we'll get any more information about this, or were they just going to move on from this now? Well, for now, they have to move on. Sure. Yeah, Remember I can't that. see them following up this season. Okay. Yeah. Maybe season three, they can work it in. You know, I don't know. Unless, unless next season, the Red Angel is Sriracha. <laughs> 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 Who knew? Mm-hmm. That's it. Every female character might be the red angel. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> or any red e- colored character. Sure, <laughs> sure. The red angel might be Uhura because she's female and she wore red. That's 
that's <laughs> probably it. Or it could be um, Dax in the Klingon bridal outfit. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Come back. Man, I'm so stupid. I didn't think of that one. I know. I know. It's one step ahead of you. <laughs> As always. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we, we yeah. are at the hour mark, so... Yeah, we know. We're going to okay. go a little longer to talk okay, about this. Okay, that's, that's fine. There's so much stuff to talk Is, about. So what are the other things we want to hit on? Because I feel like we are actually wrapping it up fairly nicely. Well, there's did, all did the we bad talk about how we yeah. thought, I mean, have we talked about how we thought this should be, should be two episodes? We did. We just said that. Oh, okay. I mean, you wanna say, do you want to say more? No, we no, 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 no. Well, I, okay. I... Just the one thing is, if this episode should have... Another... If a Saru episode was a little short-changed... It's not unlike that one from the first season where, you know, he was on the planet and he kind of went bonkers. And it, there, I think, Brian, you said there was a great Saru episode lost in here somewhere. Yeah, I felt like that. They felt like a, there was a great Star Trek episode. In there we there go. That's that, what it was. They yes. got buried by the needs of the larger plot. Mm-hmm. The needs of the many. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but that that but that discovery has that problem. Like they, they try to like do these more personal stories, but. They have so many storylines they need to service that they end up not being able to satisfy the main plot or the smaller story that they're trying to tell. Yeah, I agree. Mm. Right, right. That doesn't feel like they've found their space legs quite yet. Just been a phrase. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I felt like in, in, in 202, the one right after the season premiere, I felt like they actually might have done it a little bit better there. They did. I thought... New Eden was fairly satisfactory overall. Yeah. Yeah. I think we all but, liked Yeah, it. but when they get into, like, you get into, like, episodes three and four and stuff like that, and it just feels like a freight train moving, and it, it's almost to an absurd degree Yeah, episode three was very like, much like that with the Klingon thing. Yes, and... very much. Yeah, I thought that three and four were, were excessively busy. Mm-hmm. They were. Also, if we don't hear from the Klingons again this season, I won't be sad. Yeah, that'd be oh, fun. Oh, cow. That would be great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, agreed. I figure we're gonna see Lorel comes on board the Discovery. I like, yeah. Yeah, at least I like Mary Chifo and I like Lorel, but I don't. I'm not interested in that whole arc. Not really, no. Yeah, I, I really don't care. Yeah. Well, especially because they're trying to make something really interesting happen here on the Discovery, so let's just stick with it. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. So before we kind of wrap it up, let's just talk about some crazy science stuff that doesn't make a lot of sense. We hit on this a little bit, which is that, and, and Trek has a bad history with this, is that evolution is totally misused, mm-hmm. I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Kelpians have two stages of life. This is perfectly normal for many life forms, even on Earth. We don't call that an evolution. It's a life cycle, okay? Sure. right? Like a, like a like, butterfly, for example? You Like a butterfly, butterfly exactly. You'd... you'd yeah, you don't suddenly consider like do we don't call the caterpillar a evolving into a butterfly. We don't say that. It's a part of its life cycle. Right, a butterfly mm-hmm. is it's not same... an evolved caterpillar. Mm. Correct. Mm. It's the same insect that goes through a transformation as part of its life cycle. So, mm. please no goodness stop calling it that. Like all the baul are cutting them off, like killing them before they get to their second stage of life. That's you know not good but it's as simple as that it's not yeah. evolution mm-hmm. but yeah like you said this is not the first time that trek no, even trek has done not that, at all so. so sadly not at all so that's just a little pet peeve but trek has done it before we'll probably do it again so whatever trek even de-evolves people sometimes 
Yes, it does. <laughs> to both hilarious, weird, and yeah. sometimes yeah. <laughs> sometimes scary, but mostly hilarious and weird. Just overall WTF. <laughs> yeah, situations. Yeah. 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 Um, so here's the part that I think is far more uh, strange and definitely doesn't work at all, is that sphere data, when they go through it, um, so as we've just discussed, this is not really evolution. They're actually, it's, it's, it's a two-stage life cycle, right? So this data on the display shows at a certain point that there are literally zero first stage, let's like pre-Vaharai. Let's call them caterpillars and butterflies. Cool. Let's call them that. There are literally zero <laughs> caterpillars, but thousands upon thousands of butterflies, right? Mm-hmm. And the bilbo population gets eliminated down to, you know, like 200 and something or other. And they bounce back. And how they bounce, once, once they get that technological edge somehow, they then eliminate every single butterfly. But we already know there are zero caterpillars left at this point. How the hell do they then raise more caterpillars? Yeah, and you see the number yeah. actually go, like, says You zero. see the number yeah, display. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's literally not possible. They're the same thing. They're the same species. You have to keep something around to breed more. I uh- I honestly think it might just be an oversight. Like, they they meant that they eliminated them almost entirely, you know, because... Yeah, I, I tend to think it's actually, like, somebody in the graphics right. department didn't understand yeah. this. But, again, somebody needs to have thought about that. It, it It's not possible what they, what they showed us. Well, wouldn't the script you know? supervisor also be in charge of post-production, of like, effects? I no. don't know. No. Th- okay. No? Things get no. weird. But, but there are several people along the way that should catch stuff like yes, that. Yes, this should be caught. And, and a lot of these graphics, I don't know if this one was specifically, but most of these graphics are done on set because of their cool translucent, like, OLED displays that they have in there. Oh, really? And so it's like, yeah. So it's like, look, this was playback on set. People should have been like, no, 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 no. That's that's literally not possible. Can we change that graphic? Yeah. You know what I mean? Because the way it is now, it is impossible for this to be true. Like it cannot be. Hmm. So, and I think that's a. I think that's a, again this sort of faulty idea of evolved and not evolved. And so, if you stick to that paradigm, they're like, oh yeah, they slaughtered them all, and it's like, well, wait, but they're really the same species. Mm-hmm. Like they're not different. So you can't kill all the young caterpillars, or you know, you can't only have caterpillars. Or you can you can't have zero caterpillars and only butterflies. That's not possible. And then kill so, all butterflies and, and have then kill new all the butterflies. caterpillars. And then have new caterpillars, right? So it's like, how the hell did they do that? Um, so both the di- the dialogue kind of implies that, but the display is what like clearly shows it, and it's unfortunate. Yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate. Yeah, if yeah, it's unfortunate. If this were real life, then like a couple months later, they would be like, oh no, we had our units wrong in this column of data and actually <laughs> and none of this is actually correct uh here's what it really looks like and the numbers would make sense we had a rounding error yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> so that's a huge nitpick as far as like look if they used it on screen it's kind of hard you know like okay great you guys it's really canon. yeah i just wish this goes back to what we've talked we've harped on this a bunch and i Sorry to sound like a broken record, but like, could we please show some care about this stuff? And could we please get a science advisor to check these things? Please, 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 please. It just helps. It just helps like the production. It keeps the integrity of it. And like, please. Yeah. 
anyone who's had any kind of like statistics or anything would take one look at it and be like, nope, not possible. Don't do that. Please change the display graphic. You know what I mean? Like, it's not hard. Okay, enough of that. The other thing that really I think is crazy is so. Yeah, mm-hmm. grinds. That's right. Really grinds my gears. <laughs> grinds my gears. Yeah. Is uh, so they trigger the Kelpians by the sounds from the sphere. What the hell is that? <laughs> <laughs> so two things. One, you guys ever seen the South Park episode called Brown Note? That's not a thing. You can't trigger people to shit themselves through a secret <laughs> note. <laughs> the Mythbusters have even tried that too. Actually, in, in, legitimately, the Mythbusters at some point tried this. You cannot get people to do it. So why the hell would this trigger people's like second stage of life? I do not the understand this. brown note. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's so good. Um, also, sound doesn't travel through space. So. Well, they use they use they they use no. That's okay. They use the pylons to make. Well, no. What about the sphere? It's fine. Oh yeah, true. From, Fuck, I don't know. <laughs> from sphere, you got to ignore that. You got to ignore that. I get that <laughs> there is sound in space for certain things in Star Trek, like when you, they go to warp and firing phasers. But that's dramatic windows. license. But that's yeah, fine. That's just dramatic license. But yeah, but not but if no, you're going to you use can't this actually, plot device. Right, you can't actually. Right. So, okay, so, yeah, so you're right. There's an even bigger problem. So, okay, so all of this said, right, how the hell does this work? Um, and especially because we got a, we got an explanation as to why Saru was affected by the sphere back in the fourth episode. And remember, this is when they were like, oh, no, he's super empathic, and he's picking up on the, the death throes of, like, the sphere. So he it's because he was in prox in theory, right, it's because he was in proximity to the sphere dying. Right. So much for empathy. Right. It's the empathy. Like it's not the sound waves. It's because he was in proximity (laughs) to this being dying. Right. So hi, you don't even make sense to what you said like a few episodes (laughs) ago. (laughs) Okay. What the hell? That's it. That's all. It's kind of a big nitpick though, because this is how they trigger everyone. It doesn't make a lick of sense. Yeah, and this is this is one of those things that we again we've talked about this. They could make up a cool tech the tech kind of thing that is very sci-fi that wouldn't in any way be related to something that make you can prove like physics wise, right? Right. Like be be consistent somehow with what you've already said. Come up with the tech the tech way to make the pylons emit a signal, not sound. Thank you. You know, call it a signal. Call it whatever. Yeah. Don't call it sound. Brown Don't note. use sound, because then of course they use like sa- like crazy sound waves, like sa- you know, in the in the soundtrack, like in the to convey it too. So, just don't. And then it was fine, right? They could they could easily sidestep this by just not describing it. I mean, it could be worse. <laughs> they could have pumped um, Beastie Boys through the pylons. Oh yes, they could have. That's the wrong universe, though. That's true. That's true. <laughs> but they totally could. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it. Just some nitpicks. One of them is really problematic, I think. Yeah. The, the others are just sort of annoying, but whatever. Yeah. So there you go. Well, we'll see if this ever gets picked up again. I, I sincerely hope it does. Uh, just because, hey, the title almost kind of promises it will. 
based on the title. Alone. Yeah, that mm-hmm. that's really intriguing. This idea that there are un- unintended consequences, and every action you take affects everything in the future, right? And yep. you know, there's a time traveling humanoid, probably female, who may be setting off ripples in the fabric of space time. Yes, mm. indeed. And somehow, Spock. Oh yeah, remember Spock? Oh yeah. Knows about them or knows is somehow connected to these ripples in space time. Spock the cipher, he will unlock it all for us. And he might finally, well he won't do that, but he might finally at least no. show his face. I think he'll finally show up after next episode. After being teased wow. for six episodes. So, halfway through the season, pretty much by the way what we were predicting from episode 1, we we called this. We knew this was going to happen. Finally, halfway through the season, literally, episode 7 to 14, we will get Spock. Can I just say that my prediction is that we will not see Spock until the final 30 seconds, and we'll basically show him for 30 seconds yeah. at the end, and really we won't get Spock of any substance until episode 8. That's my guess. Yeah. <laughs> Probably yeah. Best. yeah. like they did with Unification Shades part of one. Unification Part 1. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot like Unification. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Alrighty. Cool, you guys. Thanks for sticking with us through our nitpicks. That's right. And our, our ethical dive. Our ethical dilemmas. The ethical things, I think, were really important to talk about. That. Yeah. Absolutely. It still yeah. really bothers me that the, the this treatment of General Order 1, and I hope that that is picked up on again, because it mm. it's yeah. just so huge. Yeah, because that's definitely not just stretching. That's breaking. Oh, yeah. Yep. Overtly. Mm-hmm. Just so many problems. But in general, looking forward to maybe finally seeing Spock next week. Mm-hmm. Yay, Spock. Spock, Spock. Spock, Spock. <laughs> Spock, Spock. <laughs> All right. See, the audience is the audience is demanding Spock. They're chanting. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I thought maybe you guys were doing your best Kirk impressions. Spock. That's kind of what I was yeah. That's what I was doing. Oh, then it sort of went somewhere else. So I went with it. But yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right, everybody. We'll see you next week. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye, guys. Bye, Take everybody. Care.